Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. Uh, my name's Andy Bell and I'm joined as ever by Luke Niblock. Luke, how have you been? Very well. I can't wait for Christmas to start now. It's been a while without any Northern Irish football, it feels like, but we've got a fun podcast lined up here and I'm actually really excited to answer some of these questions because they look pretty great. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's been, it feels like it's been so long since Northern Ireland last played and it's even longer until we next play. Yeah, it uh, is, So yeah. It's, it's one of those where, um, where you don't really know what to be talking about. So what, what, I, what I thought we'd do, just as we fill our podcast, as a bit of a Christmas special, is... Uh, just a general Q&A podcast, so I asked the listeners on the Facebook page one or two weeks ago for any sort of questions, either Northern Ireland related or some general football ones as well, um, and I said we'll rattle through as many of them as we can on this podcast, so uh, what I thought was uh, we'll just sort of start answering the, them at our own pace, and then if we need to sort of speed this up and do it a bit more quickfire, we'll do that, but hopefully we'll get through as many as we can here, so yeah, uh, ready to good. go? Yeah, great. Okay, first question comes from Joe McCormack. Joe, thank you very much for the question. He wants to know, what do you guys think was our best qualifying performance, uh, or what was our best performance of the qualifying campaign just mm-hmm. started there? Do you want to start on that one? Yeah, sure. I'd probably, the one that stands out to me, obviously we were at the game as well, was the Holland at Windsor game. You know, that that was a really, really enjoyable one for me just because going into that, you know, it really could have been any kind of score. We were quite quietly confident, but, you know, when you're playing Holland, you, you, you know it could always get away from you, the game. So the fact that we contained them so well, and to be honest with you, in the first half, looked the, the better side. Like, I just thought we really had a good control in the game. And obviously, second half, that fizzled out a bit. But we could easily have won that game as well. And obviously, Davis missed that penalty. And I think the atmosphere was just so great that night that all things considered, that was probably my favourite performance and my favourite game of the qualifying campaign, just because it was proof of how far we've come really in that sense you know this is one of the top sides in Europe and in all seriousness like in the first half we really did control that game and second half I didn't really feel that you know threatened by Holland and I know there was a couple of players that were rotated there but it was a very strong Holland side and we just really held our own in that one so that was was a really proud moment for me Absolutely superb result, especially you know against what what is really one of the favourites now. We have to say, I know they didn't qualify for a couple of recent tournaments and have had a real sort of downer recently. Mm-hmm. Holland's international football, but uh, I think you know to get that result against those sort of world class players was just what we deserved when we sort of didn't get the rub of the green uh, from the games previous to that. Uh, personally, I would maybe say, uh, well, certainly that's the best result. I would say maybe my favourite performance, um, and it's hard to say best performance because. As we've talked about in the podcast before, Michael has lots of different styles of play. He doesn't have a philosophy. He changes his tactics game on game. So, you, you know, you, Holland, certainly after the first 15 minutes, was more of a containment performance, where we really limited them to few, if none, if no chances at all. But for me, coming out against, uh, watching us against Germany uh, was quite special at Windsor Park. Uh, I was at that game as well. I was in the cup, uh, cracking atmosphere uh, Monday night under the lights and that was at a point where you know it, it was a bit of a free hit for us because we still had the the big games against Holland uh, and the away game against Germany to come so it was the first game after we'd had those we picked up those 12 points that we so dearly needed against Estonia and Belarus um, and I was just if there was one sort of minor really harsh criticism you'd have of Michael is that sometimes he can be conservative overly conservative in these games uh, and against Germany at home, you can you know you can perfectly well understand that. But to see us come out and actually have a press be positive, uh, we're pressing like world class players into into serious mistakes. The rebirth of Connor Washington. I know he missed a couple of guilt yeah. dead chances that night, but I thought his running and his energy up there just uh, showed us that's exactly what we need. If he's fit, he he has to be the number one striker. I think yeah. we do agree on that. Yeah. Um, missed a couple of chances first half, and they they did control the second half, and I think. Just because a lot of German players, as, as, as a watcher of football in general, 
uh, just to see them at Windsor Park um, and to see their quality that eventually came through in the second half, uh, but also the pride of seeing our boys sort of uh, completely match them for, for most of that game. Yeah. And it, we were really unlucky in the end, but for me, for me, Germany. So Yeah, I was so excited watching that first, and I wasn't even at the game, and I remember how excited I felt watching that Germany at home game, so I think that's a really good show. I, I remember just seeing the press and thinking, what is going on here? This is incredible. Like, really, really working against Germany, so... Just seeing like cross force and dares and things like that. I remember that was just really exciting to watch. So yeah. I think that's a good shot as well, man. Yeah. Okay. Next question. So I'm gonna as much as I can. I'm gonna rotate it. Northern Ireland general football. Uh, so this one is a general one from Adam Wilson. Thank you very much for the question, Adam. And he asks. Well, it, I suppose it is uh, to an extent a Northern Ireland question, but not to do with the national team. He asks, should Brendan Rodgers have taken the Arsenal job? Um, I'd I'd probably say no. Um, had Leicester maybe not won the league and shown that they can actually qualify for the Champions League and they can do they can make that happen, I'd maybe have argued the other way around. But I just think Leicester have kind of turned the tide and I think that Arsenal really just aren't... I mean, obviously this will maybe rattle a few here, but I just yeah. don't think they're as necessarily as, as, you know, relevant as they obviously once were. And I just think that Leicester, to me, that side's got so much potential. And I know that obviously it could be ransacked and some clubs might come calling for the likes of Madison, Chilwell... Mm-hmm. You know, Vardy, I'm sure, will stay there, yeah. to be honest with you. Now, he's already rejected Arsenal, so why would, you know, Brandon not in that sense? Yeah, you know, I think I Vardy so. showed some ambition in that regard. And, and I think Leicester will absolutely finish top four this season. Um, and I think Brandon's just got there. He's just, he's taken to the job really well. He's re- he's really got these players understanding the way he's playing. Why would he go to an unknown entity with Arsenal? And, and yeah. to be honest with you, a squad that's aging, a squad that's really quite poor, a lot of Arsenal fans will tell you they really need an overhaul yeah. of the squad. Yeah. Leicester don't need a squad overhaul. They've got a lot of depth. They've got a lot of talent there. There's a lot of really good young players there as well. So I think Leicester's a really great project, and it just suits his style perfectly as a manager. I mean, Brendan Rodgers was, was keen not to completely rule, rule himself out of the job. I'm sure he is always keeping his options open. We've seen that he is an ambitious manager, mm-hmm. uh, sort of leaving Celtic, who's probably a bigger club than Leicester, you would say, overall. Yeah. Uh, but if in terms of furthering your managerial career, you'd say going back into the Premier League at a young, exciting side like Leicester mm-hmm. was the ambitious move. Yeah, he got um, a lot of stick for that as well. Oh, yeah, and he's, yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's proven to be the right decision going mm-hmm. to the Premier League again, yeah. And I mean, he, for me, he took Celtic as far as he could. And uh, By the way, I should just say, I think Brendan Rodgers is an outstanding manager. Yeah, he really is. And a lot of Liverpool fans have taken the mick out of him a wee bit just because it, you know I think he took that job when he was a bit young and mm-hmm. obviously had that superb season. And people talk about that was all Luis Suarez. That, that really wasn't okay. Suarez had a superb season for us. Uh, but he actually managed to build a team around that guy. He had Jordan Henderson, Joe Allen, um, Steven Gerrard, the rebirth of Gerrard. He integrated him into a new position. And actually, Brendan Rodgers was pretty unlucky. I mean, who knows? If Steven Gerrard did not slip in that game, could Rodgers yeah. still be at Liverpool? It's, no, it's, it's just true, yeah. it's, He was that close to taking a team, this team, to its first title yeah. in uh, what it would have been 25, 26 years at yes, that time. Yes, it would have been. Uh, uh, so I'm just, I'm just a big fan of him. And I think uh, he didn't really help himself with some of his comments at the end, some of his team selections. Um, possibly actually changed his own philosophy, uh, sort of strayed from what his morals, his football and, uh, principles. Um, but I just I just think this guy is is a is a really really good manager and the prospect of him potentially managing Northern Ireland someday really excites me. Maybe yes. towards the end of his career. Yeah, it could well do. Right now, obviously, we just can't offer the money yeah. for the, the quality of manager that he is. Yeah. But to answer the actual question, I mean, we do have to be careful. We obviously clearly do have Arsenal fans listening. What I would say is Arsenal are a much bigger club than Leicester. There's yeah, no doubt club. about that. But I don't think that's necessarily the question that's being asked. He has built something really special in a short in a short period of time with Leicester. Um, I know they're 11 points off Liverpool right now and probably I know they lost last night to Manchester City and probably aren't really in the title race but in any in any normal season they would be 
mm-hmm. we're just in an era right now where Liverpool and Man City are are get, amassing the number of points in a season that I'm sure you wouldn't even mind me saying even the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson's all conquering Manchester United side didn't get no we never did even yeah. the great sides uh, Jose Mourinho at Chelsea sides like that I've mm-hmm. never got so it's a completely new era where these guys are, are just expected to win week on week on week and if you want to win the league now you can't be dropping points in any more than no. five or six games in a season so yeah. he's a bit unlucky it's a bit like you know Andy Murray being in an era of tennis with the likes of Federer and Nadal Djokovic these absolutely elite tennis players yeah. in any other era he would have so many you know, more Grand Slam titles eight or nine Grand Slams or something yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I feel like that's a bit of a that's a bit of a bummer for Rodgers but yeah. You know, in any normal season, they've been a title race, which is it's just unprecedented. Leicester are the only real team outside of that top six that we would talk about that have mounted a title challenge in the last 10, 15 years, maybe in Premier League history. Yeah. Uh, before, obviously, there's Blackburn that won it, but sort of from then onwards. Um, so I think I think he's done something really special. Yeah. Just uh, like, what, what do you sort of think? As Obviously, as a United fan, you've got uh, Harry Maguire in. And they've integrated Soyuncu, who wasn't really getting many games at the start of, of last season. Have you been impressed yeah. by him? And how, how do you think sort of Rodgers has, has gelled that team together? What do you think have been the key additions? Yeah, I think yeah, Soyuncu is obviously a huge one. And he started getting some minutes last season. I it's not like he just came out of the blue. I think he, he actually was playing a little bit of football last season. And he's been slowly integrated into that side. And it was, I mean, I never really thought of him much as a player when I saw him making these kind of random appearances here and there for Leicester last season but he's brilliant I think he's just really settled in well just so composed on the ball and and I think Johnny Evans has given that leadership role and that aerial prowess that, that Maguire's you know kind of brought with him to United and obviously we're still waiting for Maguire to kind of really show his form because I think Maguire's a magnificent player and I, I do think like when he left Leicester I, I immediately kind of worried for Leicester a little bit but Evans has, has completely carried that mantle and he, he's had a brilliant season for Leicester. I mean, he's right up there. He's, he's scored a couple of goals for them. I mean, Evans has always been an aerial threat and I remember he was really one for United as well. Um, I suppose, like, you have to look at Madison. Madison's had a fantastic season. I mean, he's, I think, second for goals for Leicester and he's just he's just always creating chances. I think he's still top for chances created since the start of last season. So, in the Premier League and I just, he's an absolutely magnificent, I love him at United. Like, I think he's someone that a lot of United fans would be desperate to see and if we could find a manager hopefully that would maybe you know have some long-term you know stability i'd love to see madison in a proper system at united but i think just vardy's continued doing what he's always been doing madison's really stepped up now and started adding a lot of goals and assists in his game um sionchi's been brilliant that midfield just stays really resolute with ndidi you know and tielemans obviously commit you know committed to leicester as opposed to signing for united or an arsenal or something like that that was a big statement in itself and Players like Tielemans, just these are these are classy players that Leicester are signing ultimately, and they can compete in the market less, but they have the money, and they've yeah. they've shown that with their signings. They're I think, just brilliant. I think what you just said, there's key as well as why he might not. If you're if you're from outside the proverbial top six in the Premier League, and you're offered a top six job, the money, the funds, the transfer funds, the wages that you can pay are obviously going to be a big pool, but. I don't think there, there's a really a, a massive financial disparity between Leicester and no, Arsenal right isn't. now. So, I mean, he's going to be back in the transfer market. He has the players that he's got there. And those guys do seem fairly committed to Leicester right mm-hmm. now. And, and why would they leave? And yeah. unless there's, unless, you know, Liverpool, Man City, Barcelona, Real Madrid are coming for them. Yeah. It, it's such an exciting, it's such an exciting club to be at yeah. right now. And it is. I mean, ever since their, I think their owner, their owner passed away and yeah, that was obviously tragic, you know, a real tragic Leicester went through. I think they've made it a real statement now saying that they are going to compete in this market and they don't want to just sit around. They're really going to go for it. You know, for the fact of the tragedy, you know, everything is going to make them par to do more and more in the market. Obviously, when some clubs come calling, like I think Danny Murphy was saying, like if United do come calling and go all 
in for Madison. It's likely that Madison would end up leaving. You know, you can't really hold these players forever and hold them to ransom. You know, Madison's a big United fan as well. You know, players like this can't will end up leaving. But I do think that Leicester can replace these players and really sign adequately. So for me, Rodgers has, has made the right call staying at Leicester. I think he'll have a brilliant season with him. And just a quick question, just to wrap up on that one. Uh, Arsenal have obviously appointed Arteta. Where do you sort of what do you have? They have to do from here because ever since sort of the years after Wenger and even the, the final years of Wenger it was really it was really going downhill and they didn't get the appointment of Unai Emery right he transpires not to be the, the, the trophy winning manager we thought he was because he picked up some trophies at PSG won a couple of Europa Leagues with Seville but similar to Northern Ireland we were I mean we argued the case for a bit of a punt on a manager rather than going for somebody who we maybe know isn't is going to be a bit average and has failed in certain jobs Yeah, I mean they've gone for Arteta and I, I think that's probably the right move for them right now I mean Certainly watching like that City video on Amazon Prime uh, the other year and the way Pep talks about Mikel Arteta, he just seems to be a really impressive coach and mm-hmm. committed to learning the, the, the philosophies of, of the game. So uh, like, if you're an Arsenal fan right now, would you be excited about that appointment? Yeah, everyone within the game talks really highly of Arteta. I mean, I, I always quite liked him as a player as well. I, I think, to be honest with you, I'd probably look forward to it. I just think that that club and that squad needs such a rebuild. Like... He's got a really tough job in his hands and he's going straight into the deep end, really. You know, if he was going into a city job, you know, after Pep leaving, I don't think it would be too tricky for him because he can kind of continue with that philosophy and he just needs to trim the squad in little places and and add little things here and there. But Arsenal needs an overhaul and that squad is a really poor squad. Like, in terms of personnel, there are absolutely some brutal players in there like that they really need to sort out. I think, you know, maybe just... He'll go with the youth side of things and he'll play the likes of Saka a lot. And yeah. I think he can really, he could mold someone like Saka into a great player. And um, I think he'll obviously start Pepe in most games. A lot of them have been really raging that Pepe hasn't been starting. You know, yeah. obviously spent a lot of money on him. So he, there's a lot, he's got a lot to do there. We just have to wait and see, yeah. you know, what he does with that squad because I think he needs to, like, very much like United, needs a real overhaul yeah. badly. It's a, it's a big I think project. D- d- defensively, certainly the massive worry for them there. Like, yeah. Mustafa, he's a brutal player. Socrates yeah. has washed up. He's passed it. Yeah. Callum Chambers hasn't transpired to be the player we thought he would no. be maybe when he signed for Arsenal a few years ago, despite some early promise. Uh, the thing I would say is they also have, do have some very good players. Aubameyang scored goals everywhere he goes. Um, Lacazette's yeah. clearly the, that player hasn't um, yeah. hasn't become a bad player overnight I think you mentioned Saka there uh, had a great performance at left back on Saturday yeah, really good. exciting young player they've got uh, Smith Rowe uh, Martinelli's a really really good player right yeah. now and yeah. he's actually sort of established himself in, uh, in that team but they, they have to make sure they obviously don't rely too much on those players yeah. um, but you know it, it, there is promise for Arsenal mm-hmm. I'd say that they do need a massive overhaul but there are positives um, and there are things they can be excited about with Arteta taking over. Yeah. Uh, and I think he, he won't have gone there without assurances uh, that he's going to get at least a couple of transfer windows and going to have had money to spend. Yeah. Uh, so it's a wait and see on that one. But yeah, he um, might need to replace Aubameyang pretty soon if they don't get Champions League. I mean, yeah. Aubameyang probably won't stay around forever if yeah. they don't not he's, get top he's, four. He's in his 30s now. Yeah, he, he'll probably want to get another move and then eventually maybe move to China or something. Yeah. So. Okay, uh, next question comes from Thomas Campbell. Uh, thank you, Thomas, for the question. Uh, back, well, actually, not a Northern Ireland one, uh, but an international football one. Favourite non-Northern Ireland international football moment? Do you want me to go first in this one? Yeah, you can take this one, yeah. Okay, this is going to be a bit of a controversial one. because uh, This one's actually maybe going to be a lot of people's least favourite moment in uh, in international football history. Uh, but I, I've always been a massive, massive Luis Suarez fan. He's my favourite player ever to play for Liverpool. Sorry, Stevie. Sorry, Carragher. Sorry, Mohamed oh, fair enough. You know, I just love watching him play. And he's one of these players, clearly, that people love to hate. And if you if you don't support the team he plays for, you hate him. Even in the in the semi-final last year, I find myself hating on him quite a bit. Uh, but 
this guy's winning mentality um, and his, his sheer fixation on winning trophies and, and winning matches and doing everything within his power. I mean, he missed, uh, you could count on a hand the number of games he missed through injury. Uh, he missed a lot more games through through bands than, than he did injuries at Liverpool. So, uh, But he, he was just a, the perfect mix of, of a winning mentality and, and a quality, quality player. I mean, the quality he had was was just incredible. It was incredible to watch him every week. It was it is a bit of a cliche, uh, but he, he he was a pleasure to watch. You put your TV on, you went to Anfield, he was a pleasure to watch. And I think his winning mentality was sort of summed up by that scummy moment against Ghana in the 2010 World Cup, where, for people who, who maybe don't know what I'm talking about, he Ghana were basically going through, it was one all uh, in extra time in the World Cup quarterfinals. Ghana would have been the first African team to reach the semi-final of a World Cup in history. Uh, and they had a header on goal in the last minute, about to go in, and he basically stopped it on the line yeah. with his hand. Um, <laughs> you were shaking your head. Clearly, yeah. clearly, you were you were a bit. I was gutted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hundred percent. But like, it's it's just it's it's an iconic moment. I mean, it'll it'll split opinion. People say, would you have done it yourself? If you were in the same situation. Would you have done it for your country? I personally, yeah, you oh, would have. Yeah, you would have. So I you think would've. it just just to see. And that was obviously before he signed for Liverpool, so I, I didn't really, I wasn't really, have, didn't really have that love for him back at mm. that time. And um, but that that was just, I just thought, you know, to do that in a final, take all the stick, or mm. a quarterfinal, take all the stick, sacrifice yourself for a semi-final, and uh, that your country were playing in, and then obviously this, the celebration after sort of boiled a lot of people up the wrong way, yeah, all down the tunnel, yeah. yeah. I just what did you I, think I, of that one? I, I remember seeing it and just thinking, what has happened here? Um, obviously that was before like any technology, and it just yeah. it was so obvious that the handball had been made and. I just had it. I knew Asamoah Jam was going to miss yeah. the penalty. I just knew he was going to, you know, step up and, and miss it because it just had to be the case after that handball. I just it had the pressure that was on that moment for for Ghana. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And that, for me, that World Cup that was twenty ten, wasn't it? Yeah. That was just such an incredible World Cup. Awesome. Uh, my moment, which I'm going to obviously mention, it was from the same tournament. So I, I just remember that that I just thought so many things happened in that tournament, and that was such an incredible moment in its own right. You know, obviously, I was so gutted about it. But it was like an amazing football yeah. moment, and when you actually think yeah. about it and look back, and and I remember sitting in my living room watching that man. I, I have a clear memory of that moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's your one then? Um, I'd probably say the Giovanni van Bronckhorst goal. Oh yes. For Holland against yes. Uruguay. Yeah. And so that would have been semi-final, was it then? Yeah. Uh, that was. was yes. it, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was certainly late in the tournament anyway, and I remember that. I mean, such a screamer, like. Unbelievable strike, and he actually had such an amazing tournament as well. I remember Van yeah. Bronckhorst, and like he was obviously aging and things like that. And he just gets the ball, I think, out left, and just smacks it like on his left foot, yeah. completely smacks it. Muslera, I think, in nets yeah. for Uruguay, just absolutely no chance. And I just, I remember I was rooting for Holland big time in that World Cup. I was really, really behind him, yeah. and I think honestly, a lot of neutrals were because yeah. we saw their fan base and how incredible their fans were the whole tournament and they just seemed to have this run going I had such a good feeling they were going to win the World Cup and, I and just, of course you've got sort of family connections with yeah obviously my, my uncle's well, so, Dutch as well yeah. so for me like he was so excited about the whole tournament and I remember just thinking they're going to do it now after that Van Bronckhorst goal obviously in the final I was left heartbroken to be honest with you after that Iniesta goal I mean it was just I remember Robin was throwing goal, had a chance yeah, to win it. A couple of times. Yeah, a couple of times. I mean, Casillas just made crucial saves in that game and Robin kind of fluffed his lines. But, I mean, that goal will always stand out in my memory. I remember that goal. That's one of the most iconic goals I remember, especially yeah. non, you know, Northern Ireland and non-United related, you know. Yeah. No, fair enough. Two, two sort of iconic moments. One, yeah. one a lot more popular than the other, I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, I have to be honest, 
Uh, okay, next one uh, is... Okay, I'm going to go back to Adam Wilson asked a couple of questions here. I'm going to go back to his Northern Ireland one. Uh, and this is something that's been actually debated quite a lot um, recently. There's, I mean, it's across all football niches. Uh, the team of the decade question has come up. There have been Twitter polls everywhere you look. You've seen plenty of debate about the Premier League. Uh, in Northern Ireland, Twitter did run one uh, as well. It was voted for. I'll get that up in one wee second. But uh, do you want to sort of... What, what do you think, for Northern Ireland team of the decade... What would be your shoe-ins, first and foremost, while I search for the... Shoe-ins? Um, Steve Davis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's the most obvious one first. Like, I would definitely say Steve Davis. Um, for Team of the Decade, hmm. Gareth McCauley. Yeah. Definitely in there. Johnny Evans, definitely yeah, in there. Like, there's your there's your centre-halves right there. I mean, picks themselves. Um, I'd probably have Jamal Lewis in. Okay. Just because I, I like I, we talk always about left backs and full backs and how like we've had such terrible time with left backs over the years. Like some of the left backs we've had to watch, yeah. Jamal Lewis has been such a breath of fresh air, and I think we can both say he's one of the best full backs we've yeah. ever seen for Northern Ireland. And he's come through in the last few years. So I'd actually put him in there. Okay. Um, who else would be a shoe? And I think Lafferty. Yeah. 100%. Uh, Lafferty has to be in there. Like just the the things he's done over this last decade for Northern Ireland are just unforgettable I'll never forget the things he's done I think he's a huge reason why we went to the Euros he maybe is the reason in many ways yeah, like definitely. some of those moments in, in the qualifying campaign against Greece and all that we talked about in the last podcast actually um, so I think Lafferty's definitely in there they're, they're I think that I've named like five shoe-ins okay. there for me yeah well, definitely yeah. Uh, so the, just what I would say is would you then have Chris Brunt as maybe a winger in that team I mean, we yeah, saw I'd definitely Chris like yeah, Brunt. I'd probably have as a winger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because Brunt from left back obviously did very well in the 2016 yeah, campaign. True, had true. a really horrible injury, um, but he, Chris Brunt was somebody who had a bit of uh, he got quite a lot of stick over the years, um, for especially for his goal scoring record for Northern Ireland. And some people didn't question his commitment to Northern Ireland, uh, but I would say in those last in the latter years of that decade before he retired, his delivery was such an asset oh, for incredible. us. Incredible. Uh, whether from free kicks from wide areas, free kicks, oh, yeah. direct free kicks, corners. You know, that was, it was always something you thought, especially when you were playing a bigger nation, uh, that we've got Ollie Norwood in the right, uh, with the right foot, Chris Brunt with the left foot. You know, if we yeah. get set pieces, those teams will be really scared of us. And yeah. I think we missed that a wee bit, that bit of quality in Euro 2016 with Brunty obviously being injured for it. Yeah, he had a lethal um, left foot. Like, yeah, so would you, would you have him in the wing then? Yeah, I, I think I'd put him in the wing because yeah. I'd, I'd actually struggle to pick a winger anyway, so I'd probably have yeah. him on the wing, you know. I, in term, I actually am struggling a wee bit to think of other shoe-ins. Like, who else would you say is a... Well, I'll, I'll read out what the, what the what they team had. that was voted for here. Yeah. Uh, McGovern was uh, voted for as a keeper, I and I think just for for the Euros. For the Euros, he's probably in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's quite hard not to just pick the team that was because they gave us those iconic memories. Well, that's why I went for Jamal Lewis, for yeah. example. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. But and we we're gonna try our best to pick the team that was actually the best quality yeah. and not just go purely off Euro twenty sixteen hype and nostalgia. Exactly. Here. Yeah. Uh, so they've gone for uh, Brunt at left back, McCauley and Evans, as we said. Yeah. So they went for Aaron Hughes at right back. The I think there's an argument here for, for Conor McLaughlin um, and I think people will forget about this guy quite a bit just because he's been phased out of the team recently he's uh, not playing regularly for Millwall uh, but this is somebody I always thought was a really underrated player for Northern Ireland um, obviously more of a limited fullback but has got forward and has got assists and goals for us um, when he sort of, I'm not sure if it was his debut uh, but that match in Hungary uh, that sort of kicked off the whole Michael O'Neill renaissance of Northern Ireland um, and that set us obviously on our way to to qualify. That was the first match. He was he was really good in that game, and yeah. he was somebody who I wasn't sure about. I you know I think Ryan McLaughlin was at the Liverpool Academy at the time. Was a lot more of an exciting 
attacking fullback and I always thought well why is this guy not playing over Connor mm-hmm. uh, but he really established himself and a bit hard done by in the, in the Euros because in that first game where we played that mad 5-4-1 formation where I think Michael uh, by his own admission just tried to be a bit too clever and he was uh, he, struggled, he got really he? isolated out yeah. wide um, I can't remember who was playing on that it was maybe Blaszkowski for, yeah, for Poland like but he was taken out of the team but then he came back in and had another almost faultless qualifying campaign uh, for the 2018 World Cup um, and just, I no, no, don't really remember apart from that Euro 2016 game I don't really remember him having a bad game no. obviously Aaron Hughes I think clearly if you're talking about an all time Northern Ireland legend oh, he makes Aaron it. Hughes is oh, in there every time yeah. he's in the conversation every time but for this decade specifically when I think of um, when, I, when I think of the, the good times of this decade which is 2014 onwards um, so 2014-2015 onwards Conor McLaughlin has been at the heart of that so yeah, he's we- had a limited role yeah, yeah. I, I think the thing I'd say about McLaughlin and the reason actually I would have him right back in the team for of, of the decade is I think he offered a level of consistency just when we needed it at, at right fullback I think yeah. he really offered like it was never nines out of tens he just always offered a seven yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. every yeah. single time he played that's what and I think that's just well. that's what we needed at the time and I think McLaughlin filled in really well he knew he was a limited fullback he knew he wasn't this technically unbelievable footballer but he just kept bringing sevens to the park every single game and so I think I, I would actually put McLaughlin, McLaughlin in the team as well yeah. I would have him in there yeah so uh, what about Stuart Dallas do you think he makes it let's talk about the other wing position because yeah. you've got the likes of you've now again who's been a cons- yeah. consistent performer for Northern mm-hmm. Ireland um Iconic moments like the goal, the, the goal at the Euros, the goals in Portugal. Uh, if it's Stuart Dallas, as we've mentioned, Jamie Ward, yeah. somebody we can't forget about just yeah. because his career's gone downhill recently. Um, that guy provided a lot of excitement on the wing for Northern mm. Ireland, quite an underrated player. Um, oh, I suppose what formation are we playing though? Well, they've gone for four five one here or four three right. three if you like. Okay, um, but you can change that if you want. If you want another another striker in, perhaps, or do yeah. you think? Um, actually, there's, there's an argument for McGuinness for the moment yeah, he's given. There's a, yeah. you know, they've actually put Healy in here. I mean, it was a bit stupid of them to, to <laughs> include him in the, in the debate because people just see David Healy and think, oh yeah, it has to be. But he's he scored one goal in this yeah, decade, in this so de- it's no quite clearly Kyle Lafferty no. for this I decade. think probably play the 4-5-1 then just because yeah. like, I think he's Lafferty's the, yeah. you know, the yeah. obvious choice up front and I wouldn't really say there's another obvious choice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, we should, we should obviously make clear just... I know we've done it, but make it very clear that it is this decade. Conor McLaughlin versus Aaron Hughes, all time, all, every day of the week. Oh, it's Aaron Hughes, but this decade. this decade, we're thinking of, same with Healy versus Lafferty, it's Healy yeah. all day, but this decade is Lafferty. And that's our back four sorter. We've got McGovern yeah. there, we've got Jamal Lewis we've picked, yeah. and then we've got um, McCauley, Evans, and McLaughlin. Okay. That's the back I'm four I'm maybe going to slightly disagree with you about Jamal Lewis, I can see your argument okay. for it, but I'll maybe put Brunt in there, okay. and just have another winger, either McGinn or Ward. That's fair enough, Just yeah. somebody who has, has done it for the full decade. Yeah. I think there's no doubt in terms of raw quality, Jamal Lewis is the best left-back we've yeah. had in our lifetime, Yeah, I think. I don't think that's a, that's the No, that's, that's right. Shout. That's why I've got him in. <laughs> uh, we've got Davis in there. Uh, well, who, who else would you have? Ollie Norwoods, we're a bit better about him, but team of the decade, probably. Yeah, just for the one delivery against Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> that one cross yeah, to okay. Macaulay is so iconic that, nah, to be fair, he actually did. He was, he was always, again, a consistent yeah. player for us. And obviously there was times where his set piece was kind of lackluster for a while, but he had a really consistent delivery on him for the most part. And uh, he did, all, he, I think he always offered um, something for Northern Ireland when he played as well. So I, I think Norwood in there is not, I, I would not argue with that yeah. at all. Do you know I, mean, I mean, he was, he was a mainstay in, in the team, basically, yeah. until he obviously retired. Yeah. He offered a consistent level of quality, a decent championship level. Um, never, never scored a goal for us. Never really provided moments of magic, apart from the obvious ones. But I think just for just for this this last decade, especially you know when we were 
in the doldrums basically losing these games to and Luxembourg he was always there he was yeah. and, he, and he always he came through that and his development as a player sort of uh, mimicked for me Northern Ireland's development as a team so I think it's mm-hmm. fair enough to have uh, Ollie Norwood in there third midfield position I guess is between Chris Baird Paddy McNair and Corey Evans mm-hmm. um, Paddy obviously a bit of recency bias there for the campaign that he's just had which was an incredible campaign for us so you could just say for those two years and his cameo appearances in the 2016 qualifying campaign you could say Paddy McNair for for the quality he's offered. Chris Baird was a very very I consistent think, performer. Yeah. I think you're you're a big Chris Baird fan. I loved Chris Baird. I actually loved him. I thought yeah. he was amazing because he was so he could just play any position you wanted him to play, and he honestly always just put in such a shift. I used to love Chris Baird, and I remember when he eventually retired, I was like really. I mean that was sad news to me. I just thought he was such a brilliant player, and he's 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 such a journeyman. It felt like over the years and. He's just all, everywhere he went at club football as well. He always delivered a shift, and he was always apparently brilliant in the dressing room and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. So Chris Brad would be my shout for there, you know. And with McNair running him really close, I wouldn't really have Corey. I don't think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But I I'd, I'd have Chris Baird in there with McNair running him really close because okay. McNair's been so brilliant. Yeah. I think if McNair maybe broke through a couple of years before, yeah, he'd, he'd probably really get. Oh, he'd be in there. He'd be in there. Yeah. In terms of a quality footballer, Paddy McNair was a better technical footballer than Chris Baird, but. He just offered that stability in midfield that we needed. Played very well. People forget he played at the Euros. Uh, played some very good games he for did. us. Came into the team. I don't think he played the Hol- uh, the Poland game. Yeah. But came in for the Ukraine game. Yep. Performed very well. Um, so He's uh, played uh, left back, right back. He's played centre half. He's yeah. played holding midfield. Yeah. You know, he's played all these positions for us. You know? And every club he's been at basically yeah. basically loved this guy. Yeah. So And he was a big miss when we uh, when he retired. Yeah, they loved well. him at Fulham. Loved him at Derby. Yeah. 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 So we've got, our, we've got our back four goalkeeper. Got our midfield three. Uh, so just remember your your front three. You're going Lafferty, yeah. uh, Brunt, yeah. and then are you said you said Dallas. Or? I I think Stuart Dallas at the minute is probably my choice. Yeah, I think it's been quality for us, man. I think this guy's been really good for us. Um, you couldn't say Jordan Jones. So you know, for me, I'd I'd have to, I'd have Dallas in there, man. I think he's been excellent for us, and obviously he's again covered a couple of different positions. Oh, it just always looks a threat for me, Dallas, when he's on the ball. Like, and I, I remember when he came through, we just we were crying out for that again. We needed someone like that to excite. You know, and to really kind of compel people, you know, and draw on defenders and, and make these overlapping runs and things like that. And Dallas just constantly did that for us. And I always thought he looked so dangerous in an Ireland shirt, you know? What I'm saying, I think because he came in basically at the exact same time that we made that massive improvement, that yeah. we he came in the qualifying campaign that got us to the Euros and has been a pretty consistently good performer for us ever since. Has scored goals at important times. I'm thinking Azerbaijan away. Um, has, has just produced always quality delivery from the left, always puts a good shift in. We said about Chris Baird being versatile. He arguably rivals him for versatility. You think playing four games in one yeah. game, or four positions in one game recently. Yeah. So I think I agree with you and Stuart Dallas. Yeah, so that's good. Happy enough with that one then. Yeah. No problem. Uh, okay, on to the next question. Sorry, I've lost it. Uh, let me see. Uh, yes. Okay. So this one is is a general football one. It comes from Andy Steele. Asked a question today. Uh, so he says, can you shed any light on the assistant referees taking so long to raise their flag in an offside incident? So I think everyone's sort of getting used to these new rules that have come in this year. I've never seen such a, a seismic shift in football. Um, the reason the the assistant referees do keep the flag down is because if the, a goal is scored, uh, they can VAR it and then give the goal, whereas if they blow the whistle, then you've stopped the play, yeah. and therefore it can't be given as a goal. So yeah. it's sort of let the play go on and... Uh, and then after that, it's, you know, bring it back if you need to. And so that's why they're told to keep the flag down until the, the ball's either gone out of play or the attack has passed. Yeah. But I suppose we can bring this into uh, 
a general VAR question. I don't want to get too caught up on it because we could talk here for hours. Uh, but what, what have you thought of it, uh, really, ever since the introduction in the World Cup 2018 uh, and also in the Premier League this year? Uh, what, what's your, what are your general views on it? Are you a fan? Well, I think when I thought of VAR coming through, and I, I always assumed that VAR would have you know, the referee go over to the screen and review the incident himself that way, and then as opposed to just having something in his ear, you know, and things like that. Because I, I think there just needs to be a bit more clarity on it. Yeah. There's just, there is a bit of confusion. And to me, if the screen was there that the referee could go to, and, you know, obviously some um, some football stadiums in, in England don't have the big screen as well. They were even reviewed, like Old Trafford. You can't even yeah, see the incidents back, you know. Same. So, and, and these are two of the biggest stadiums in England, you know. So, I think there's always a bit of confusion. And, it, and that confusion, in turn, leads to just fans, you know, feeling so, you know, like, why, why is this here? It ruins celebrations. It ruins these football yeah. moments, these goal-scoring moments, like... And, and just because there's confusion if there's a bit more clarity I think these moments could still be enjoyed it all to, I think it's the right direction for football personally okay. overall it just needs a little bit of tweaking for, for next season because my god there's been some like ridiculous moments so far where I'm just thinking what yeah. is VAR doing right now like yeah. what is happening Premier League have made a right mess it's, they've made such a mess of it as, as honestly as I thought they would to be honest with you I'm yeah. not surprised they've messed it up in some way because biggest it's league just, in the world though, I mean. biggest league in the world and they, and they can't get it right so I just think it needs a couple of changes but I think overall spirit of VAR I think it is the right decision it just needs some changes and I know some people really don't like it but I think it is the right call Okay, yeah, fair enough. I've, I take a slightly different view on it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been a very, very, very vocal critic of it. Uh, one thing I would say is, and I, we don't watch really German, Italian, Spanish football just because it's, it's, a, it's not on the TV anymore, basically, yeah. on the mainstream Sky BT channels. And uh, it's one of those that you, you maybe watch if it's, you watch a game if it's on, but yeah. you're not going to exactly get the, an illegal stream up and, and go to great lengths to watch these games. But a lot of people have praised the usage of VAR in, in the European leagues and say it's a lot more efficient. And that just personally doesn't surprise me, knowing the refereeing standard in England. Yeah. Uh, my issue with it isn't is nothing to do with uh, how long it takes, although that's really annoying. It's nothing to do with the fact that half the time they don't even get the correct decision anyway, which is also really annoying. I'm just like sort of an old school emotional football fan. So if I'm at a football match um, and I see my team scored, I want to have a quick look at the linesman and then be able to go mental. So yeah. it's not offside, then I can go mental and enjoy the moment. Yeah, yeah. Whereas... A lot of the time when I'm watching my team now, uh, and it, was, it hasn't come in for Northern Ireland yet, so I don't know as a Northern Ireland fan how I'm going to feel about it, but if there's a goal, say say the centre forward's played through, it looks like a tight enough offside call, Lions keeps the flag down and scores, you sort of can't really celebrate it. And you know, it's 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 always in the back of your head, this may be, this may be ruled out. Yeah. And for me, that like that's why I love football more than any other sport. That's why I'm, <coughs> I love going to football matches. It's the unpredictability. If you watch a match, uh, you record a match and somebody tells you the score, it completely ruins it for you. Yeah. So it's the unpredictability, the, the moments of joy. A goals, goals are pretty rare in football compared to points being scored in general sport. Uh, so I just like to be able to enjoy it. Um, do, have you found this season you've been curtailing your, your celebrations and your emotion? And yeah. I mean, maybe I could accept it a bit more if it was a bit more efficient, but... I think you just need to find ultimately a way to speed the process up and just make it more sudden and just make things more natural and comfortable like for football fans because it's just been it's just added a whole layer of confusion to this league this season and to be honest with you I do find it difficult now if something I'm watching a goal back and maybe there's a, that, that kind of ball played where I'm sure oh is that offside now and I I just think that like immediately when a goal is scored I shouldn't be thinking that yeah. I should be thinking oh you know brilliant we've scored you know won the game whatever you know I feel comfortable not, but no I know I just think of something's happened I'm yeah. always thinking oh something's gone wrong yeah. 
and this goal is going to be chalked out. But, you know, I think as United fan, like we've had quite lucky with VR. We haven't really had too many issues with yeah. it. It's been a couple of incidents, um, but we've had a lot of penalties from it, things like that. The, the, I've been genuine penalties that weren't actually given in the first yeah. place. So I'm happy in a sense. But I mean, I'm just so depressed as United fan anyway at the minute, mate. Do you know what I mean? I can't even talk about anything with any kind of optimism. I think the uh, one of, one of the things I would say about it is um, when you when you sort of think about VAR and the decisions it's given. Um, for when goal line technology came in, I was all right with it because it's an immediate decision. The referee, it's akin to looking at the linesman and him giving the goal. So you, you you sort of if there's something that's quite close, you can have a look at the referee. He looks at his watch, gives the goal. The emotion is is not affected at all. Whereas if it's never going to happen, and so it's a stupid suggestion, but if they could get a decision as quick as goal line technology, all for it. I want to get the right decision as much as I can. Yeah. Um. But there, there's just been so much, so much confusion about it. And if if I, if I'm a Liverpool fan and I'm anti VAR, with all the the sort of memes and the banter about this season, it's quite clear that you know if I if I don't enjoy this Liverpool fan, then there's something going drastically, drastically yeah, wrong. Yeah. Sure. Do you love it? Oh, Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> Liverpool. Liverpool. Um. Well, actually. Don't forget, statistically, uh, we've actually we have the same amount of points without VAR, uh, but we'll not get oh, yeah, we'll okay, yeah. No, we don't need to look at stats, sure. I just know that <laughs> yeah, you... Don't, don't, just let, know that don't let the truth get in the way of a, of a, <laughs> a biased United yeah, fan. Live our pool, yeah. <laughs> all right, we'll move on from VAR before we're here all night. Uh, let's have a look. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, question from Matthew Robson. It's quite an interesting one, Northern Ireland related. Uh, first part of it is, if Northern Ireland qualify for the Euros, do you think Steve Davis will retire? And if so, who do you think the next captain will be? So first of all, if we qualify for the Euros, Steve Davis, 35 years old, probably by that point when you think of the, the warm-up games, the playoffs, the yeah. warm-up games of the Euros, the matches in the Euros itself, probably will have broken the record uh, of the of the most capped British player of all time. He's, yeah. he's already got the most capped British midfielder. Yeah. Um, I think he's maybe 10, 10 or so more caps to go until he beats ridiculous. Peter Shelton or Pat Jennings. I'm not sure exactly who it is. Ridiculous. But Steve Davis, 35, 35 years old, will be 36, has just renewed a one-year contract with Rangers. Do you think the idea of going out on a high, I mean, this is a guy who has, has, got, has got kids, is, is, is a family man, as we know, do you think at that point, most cap talent, going out on a high, Paddy McNair, the likes of those midfielders coming through who are more than capable of probably uh, of filling his of filling his boots, do you think that you could could you see him retiring first of all? No, I I I think he'd be at the Euros actually. Oh, of course, but yeah, after, yeah, after, after the Euros, you yeah. mean after? Okay, yeah. I thought you meant for a second, like you know, retire oh, no. before the Euros. Express, I'm like, 100%. what is going no, on we're, here? We're locking him up. I definitely took that the wrong way. <laughs> I, I'm having that guy right in the plane, mate. What? Um, yeah, after the Euros, I'd say yeah, that would be the end for okay. for Steve. Yeah, I think that would make total sense. You know, especially with Michael going as well, and it just. I just think it would be a new era for Northern Ireland and Steve Davis leaving would kind of be a symbol of that really, yeah. you know, very symbolic of it. So okay. I think Steve, after such a magnificent career, he's he's done it all. Honestly, he's seen it all. He's seen the highs and the lows in Northern Ireland, like, yeah. uh, like many fans have as well. And we just love Steve. I think after the Euros, him retiring makes total sense. I don't think anyone would, would wish for Steve to do anything else. I'd love him to just have a happy time with his family. You know, he's got a family there and... And I think he it's the right moment for him after the Euros, man. Yeah, to retire. And it what, just what seems player. like the perfect storm. You know, yeah, going out in a high with the record. Everyone loves you. Um, I, I, I could see it as well. I mean, who knows how he feels about it? Does he love playing for Northern Ireland so much that he's just yeah. going to do it until his legs fall off, basically? The quality that guy brings, you know, he could play for yeah. us until he's 65. He actually could. Yeah. He really like could. Um, so uh, in terms of the second half of the question, I'll maybe go first in this one in terms of the the, ca the captain who would replace him as captain. 
Um, I'd say the obvious choice would be Johnny Evans. Yeah, I was, thinking, I was thinking Johnny, yeah. In terms of the fact he's a fan favourite, his quality, the fact that he will be playing at the highest level for years to come. Um, Johnny Evans, 32 years old, so potentially he would have four or five years captain in Northern Ireland, and then that would give the likes of potential candidates to replace him as captain, the likes of, well, Paddy McNair stands out for me as the obvious yeah. one. Um, I guess yeah. if Stuart Dallas is still playing, somebody who's, who's trusted within the team, somebody who has respect within the team, uh, or even you know if Billy Peacock Farrell establishes himself as a Premier League player, uh, Jamal Lewis is another one who you could give him the captaincy to keep him happy. Um, <laughs> I think they're they're all players who I could see as definitely potential candidates for for the captaincy, um, but not right now. I don't think Paddy McNair is ready right now to take the captaincy in Northern no. Ireland. So maybe give Johnny four or five years, yep. and then Paddy McNair in the prime of his career, twenty twenty eight twenty nine years old, yeah. can really take over and lead us. What, yeah. who would be easy, easy for me. Easy, just yeah. I have to say, I totally agree with what you've said. Johnny Evans for me for four or five years, and then McNair in an ideal world. That's the way the captaincy um, starts rotating for me. So yeah, it's really simple, in my opinion, to be honest yeah. with you. I'd give the Johnny, and then I would look to, I'd look to the likes of Paddy McNair, who just shows such leadership from the midfield already. He's yeah. already shown the signs of that, so. Uh, it's a really simple choice for me, yeah. Okay. Should we do some maybe like some quick fire yep, ones? Even? Yeah, like yeah let's do that. We're, we're running out a uh, bit of time. It's some brilliant questions. That's why we're yeah, running out of time because exactly, yeah. we really have a lot of time to, to look at these questions. Oh, They're absolutely. great. Thank, thank you very much for those yeah, questions. I brilliant. think I stopped thanking individuals after each question, but yeah. I believe it, you know, really good questions. Yeah, brilliant. Really interesting debate. I'm going to do one quick one that, that might uh, be slightly more long-winded, but we can yeah. sort of fire through it and then we will literally go quick fire and wrap up the podcast because yeah. we're sticking for, I think, 40, 40 minutes. 40 odd so. minutes, yeah. Okay. There's one that uh, comes from Chris Ballantyne, says, where's the way, uh, ways the Irish League could be improved, for example, a Summer League? Now, we're going to be quite open about this. We actually aren't really massive Irish League fans. Yeah. We don't really go down to games regularly. Mm. Uh, people won't like that. They'll think that we should support uh, the local product. I mean, I know you work on a Saturday. I play football for my own team on a Saturday. Yeah. Uh, would a Summer League, we'll, we'll just take that part of the question, but do you think a Summer League would help? I mean, the benefits would be, obviously, in Europe, uh, you'd yeah. be in the middle of your season, fitness, yeah. so the yeah. money that would come in from Europe. Uh, would would really benefit these teams if we consistently got further. Um, I know Linfield did very well, but I think that could become more of a regular thing. You've seen Dundalk, Shamrock Rovers both qualify from uh, for the Europa League group stages from uh, from the League of Ireland. For you personally, I sometimes find that on a Saturday in the summer, sometimes if you're not working, you've nothing to do. You just think, oh, I'll just love a bit of football. Uh, to watch, I mean, you're 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 probably from East Belfast traditionally, maybe more of a Glen man, Dundella man, Dundella, yeah, <laughs> good on the head run. Uh, but but could you see yourself if there was a summer league, no Premier League football on, and we make no we make no uh, excuses or we make no bones about the fact that we're bigger Premier League fans than we are any Irish league team? Yeah, but no Premier League football on a Saturday, would you be tempted maybe to go down to a game, give it a go? Yeah, I, during the summer, half the time when I'm on a Saturday, like you say, I have nothing to do. Like so, yeah. I think just for the sheer fact that it's like a different approach to a league system, like having it in the summer, I just think immediately raises a few eyebrows and gets a bit more interest peaked in in the league, and that's just something that not obviously a lot of leagues do, and it's not the regular format. So I think the fact that it's a regular, it's something a bit different. I think that's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Like I, uh, to me, that 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 is one way I could certainly see myself investing more time in Irish league football because yeah. I really don't watch like. Yeah like any at all really I, I really haven't really paid too much attention to that league as, as I've kind of gotten a bit older so and I think it's a good it would be a good time for the Irish League to switch there's uh, the the quality of the Irish League right now is no doubt higher than it's uh, been certainly in my lifetime certainly the last 10-15 years um, as you say the, the fans the uh, you get a bigger turnout in the summer with no distractions of Premier League football people sort of kicking their heels looking for stuff to do and the, also the fact that uh, in the Irish League right now there's four or five teams going for the league I think Linfield have, have, have 
just sort of played their games in hand from the Europa League group stages or from the Europa League playoffs, the run they had there. Had to have a couple of games of stone, but Crusaders are a good side. Cliff and Dill are doing very well. Orin Kearney, potential Northern Ireland manager candidate up at Coleraine. The Glens, I, I always, I believe, as somebody who supported Linfield for many years, I, and I make a stick for saying this, I believe the Irish League needs a strong Glen Torn. Yeah. I think the fan base, um, I just always remember going to matches being really nervous for Linfield Glen Torn. And yeah, it was of always... when they had the financial problems, it, it, yeah. it took that away from it yeah. and didn't really get the turnout. So I, I would like to see Glen Torn back up and challenge it again. I just think it's a, an exciting time for the Irish League. Lauren have got the money in as well. I just don't want to leave anyone out. And so, uh, some Irish League supported the Huff at us because I didn't mention it. <laughs> Glen Avon, brilliant. You know, all these, all these good teams playing good, exciting football. And the Irish League has traditionally had a bit of a reputation for hoofball, very physical, typical Northern Irish aggression. But actually good football's being played now. And we've got guys going across the water like Gavin White. Paul Heatley's having a very good season. Half the Northern Ireland team has come from the Irish League. So yeah. I think it's 100% Summer League. Okay, quick fire. I'm uh, going to give you 30 seconds maximum to answer these questions. Just going to go down in order here. Um, so let me see, let me see, let me see. Uh, favourite, least favourite Northern Ireland songs? Do you want to maybe just answer one of those? Favourite? You're you're quite a fan of the Spirit, uh, Spirit in the Oh yeah, Spirit, Spirit in the Sky. Like for me, the jo- <laughs> that's easily my favourite just because I can bring it into the United side of things as well and it's such an amazing chant. Like it is genuinely amazing. So I'd go for Spirit in the Sky for that okay. one, George. What about you? Yeah, um... We're, that's we're, actually tough Like we're, we're, we're quite good at, at, at stealing chants aren't we yeah. we don't really make our own up I mean You Are My Davis is, is an original one I quite like that one everyone knows it that's a brilliant one yeah um, always gets the entire ground singing that one yeah. actually yeah, yeah absolutely yeah that's a good I think I, yeah um I don't know, we've got McNair has obviously been stolen. I'm thinking more specifically player chance. Will Griggs, that, that was sort of done to death. That had its own um, kind of beauty to it yeah. as well. You well know, it was, it was done time. to death in the end. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe just the Davis one. Probably yeah. a bit of a boring show. I, no, I think it's brilliant. So I think brilliant chant though. I love um, that. There was a new one. Have you heard the LALALA one? They, yeah, it's great. Yeah. One? That's, that's, that's not bad, but yeah, nobody yeah. really knows the words to No, it, so. once people really catch on with that, yeah. that could be brilliant. But for, I think the two we've chosen, everyone sings yeah. them. Amazing. And the, and the away games, I think the away fans have been really getting it going. Oh, they've been, it's, it it's been flying, hasn't yeah. it, away? Yeah. But it hasn't really made its way no. into the... It will. You know, yeah. I think it will. Least favourite? Have you got one or... No, not really. Not really. No, no. <laughs> I think they maybe the the constant uh, the constant nature of the um, the the Ulster chant maybe the clap 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 Ulster. Yeah, you know, it just seems that that's uh, that's yeah, maybe so over sung a, a wee bit. Yeah, so you get a yeah. bit of throwaway one, isn't it? Whereas yeah. you know, Spirit in the Sky, chants like that. I always love a chant that you can repeatedly sing over and over. Yeah, Spirit in the Sky leads into the the next verse the, yeah, you know, exactly. the exact same it leads very well into that. So you can yeah. get that going. Same with like we're on our way to the Euros. Yeah. They, you can get those going for ten minutes. Um, so okay well yeah good choices there I think yeah uh, next one comes sorry did I say who that was from that was from Bob Carlisle um, yeah. he's asked another question he's asked most promising uncapped talent uh, and in a similar vein somebody has asked uh, should Ethan Galbraith be called up to the to the squad um, for the playoffs in March or do you think too soon for him what do you know about Ethan Galbraith as United um, he's like touted like in the systems really really highly like this guy again someone who's really versatile can play a few different positions and from what I've seen on Twitter, I've only really seen stuff on Twitter yeah. to be honest with you. But like when I've seen people really love this guy, you know, within United and mm-hmm. United have actually had a real kind of connection with um, young Northern Irish players over the years. Like we really have kind yeah. of brought in a lot of young talent from here. So 
Um, I, I'd be looking at Galbraith as, as one I'd bring in and, and really kind of push him into the side if we yeah. can and give him little give him little moments and cameos here and there because I think he's going to keep improving and hopefully get up to the 23s now, you know, and yeah. it, I just really want to see him in the 23s side and then I'll kind of really pass judgment okay. on him because that's when you, you'll start getting so, so tested. Get serious. Yeah. Yeah, well, he came on, didn't he, recently? Yeah, he did come did on. Did he see, did he do all right or did he not have much time? I didn't get seen, any, I didn't really get seen any of Galbraith's okay. moments, but like just from what I've heard, this guy is really, really highly touted. So I'm, I'm excited to see the guy, do you know what I mean? Next question comes from Thomas Holmes. Says Ollie Norwood, if we get a new manager, would he come out of retirement? Uh, I don't. I don't think we really speculate not too much. And, and uh, was it a falling out? It didn't seem to be. It seemed to be Ollie wanted to concentrate um, rightly or wrongly on football. football. Yeah. Uh, I'll ask you just quickly: w- Would you take him back, or uh, you know, are we in a position to turn down a Premier League player coming back, even if he has done the wrong thing? I'd. I'd actually probably take him back yeah. to be honest with you yeah yeah why not yeah but I don't, I don't think it'll happen no I don't know. No. I don't think so either no, I, don't, no, no, I think no. he's made his bed now I yeah. mean, he knows that yeah. I mean he left when we were in a good position so I don't think it was a case of if we qualify for these Euros he'll, he'll, he'll come back in yeah um, I'd take yeah. him for a, a consistent set piece yeah. but I, 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 I wouldn't really take him just for like in, I, I don't know I, just, I, I would take him inside I would yeah. but I, I think I'm, he certainly would certainly have to earn the respect of the fans yeah. back but it's not like there's that. a huge void without him you know I just think I would take him back for certain reasons extra quality I feel we can't turned down extra quality as, as Northern Ireland with the small pillar players we have and you know he's not going to have the respect of the fans straight away but he'd have to earn that back anyway I don't think it's going to happen I think no. it's a hypothetical question uh, somebody says uh, okay a couple of questions still Thomas Holmes asked a few ones thanks for getting involved Thomas he uh, we've discussed these on the podcast but just one word answer uh, who's best for the number 9 position right now let's say for Bosnia who are you playing number 9 everyone fit and best backup for cover at centre half he suggests Paddy McNair okay so Connor Washington yeah Easily, uh, for for number nine, he is just the best option we have. Um, yeah, McNair's not a bad shot, you know. Actually, his cover because the cover we have seen has not been convincing no. at all. Like, and I, I really wouldn't have trust yeah. in one of those guys coming in and actually putting in a shift. So, like, you might have to swap around systematically and and play McNair. Yeah, and I actually think that's a really good shot from Thomas. Was it? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's a really good shout to be honest with you. Playing McNair, like, he yeah. probably is the best quality we have in backup centre half. But yeah, definitely. And he's you don't really want to lose his quality midfielders or anything. He's played, yeah, well, that is the thing, but he's played a lot there uh, for a bit for Middlesbrough. Yeah. Obviously, he came through, came through United, United in centre half. Yeah. Um, so maybe not, it's not his best position, but yeah, certainly is. Uh, is probably our best backup there. Because yeah. the likes of Tom Flanagan hasn't really cut it. Uh, other centre halves we've seen in friendlies haven't cut it either. No. Um, Michael Smith was the only other option, but he's been yeah. he more plays in the back three. Yeah, not in a two. So no. I wouldn't really trust him in a two, especially, no. a, a, you know, against a striker like uh, like Ed and Jacko. No. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with those two. Uh, I don't think it's, mm, like, too obvious, as obvious as you were, maybe were suggesting between Washington and McGuinness, but as we said before, we like McGuinness off the bench. The He can really use his physical attributes and... Uh, bring a different energy off the bench so I think what, Washington you know, for the press for yeah, me man that's absolutely. what I'm thinking no, I, I do agree with you Yeah. okay thank you Thomas for those questions Stephen Muskelly says do you think O'Neill will bring any Northern Ireland players to Stoke in January uh, who, who could potentially I mean championship players are they really going to go into their into the relegation zone of the championship just you know, risking, risking no I d- that's a tricky one I don't know who for a start who would be available mm. and who would take it I don't know that's a tricky one actually. maybe like I was thinking like a, a Shane Ferguson or somebody. He's Maybe like a Ferguson. Game. Yeah. Even a McLaughlin, somebody like that. Yeah. Like step up. I mean, there's some good players in League One uh, that we've got. We've got, um, you know, Mark Sykes playing yeah. down at Oxford. 
Gotham White, oh, sorry, he's championship now, so he, yeah. he probably wouldn't make the, no. the step down into relegation. Yeah, zone. sideways or downward um, step. Yeah. I, I can see, I can definitely see Michael taking some players that he trusts. And yeah, maybe getting he, a bit he likes of Ferguson. In there. I think he trusts Ferguson, so yeah. Ferguson's not a bad shout for somebody he might want to take there. Again, he can play. He's versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not a bad shout, Shane Ferguson. And just quickly, depending on uh, if say, let's say Stoke stay up in, in the summer. If you're Paddy McNair, would you be tempted to go there if you were convinced by the project that that could get you back playing Premier League football in the next two years? Or do you think it's too much of a risk for him and he should be getting Premier League as I'm sure he will be able to at the end of this? At the end I of think this he could. It, it all depends on how Michael is doing with Stoke and how his Stoke side unfolds and develops and looks. If it's yeah. an exciting project there and he starts to sign well, I'd, I'd Paddy McNair could go there and play, he'll play a pivotal role with Michael. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see what they could okay. do at Stoke, yeah. Neil Shirt asks... Why do some normal human beings who have good moral compasses transform into aggressive animals and lose all perspective on life and society when watching football? I mean, that's, that's an interesting question. We're not going to be able to do this quick far. Um, no, that's a tricky one. Um, I mean, I suppose with the, the incidents today at Tottenham, um, you know, it, it is tough. I mean, you always will have Neanderthals, uh, idiots who come to watch the football. Yep. Uh, a minute's silence. If you have 60,000 people observing a minute's silence, all it takes is literally one person to shout something stupid yeah. and that and the Provokes. entire thing's destroyed you know yeah. uh, I just think it's I don't know for well for, for often st- with football alcohol's involved yeah. for a start so you'd yeah. probably say that a lot of people would take that and people have their own reasons for drinking a lot of alcohol so there's there, yeah. there's a lot of reasons probably um, be it familial or just you know yeah. their own kind of Problems, sides reasons yeah. that will be projected into football yeah. football's always kind of been a working class game yeah and there's a lot of problems that comes with that and you know often that can be projected and that can be an escape for many people but sadly violence yeah. is also part of football it always has been over the years and it's just interesting i know this is a bit of a your dad shout You're, you know all rugby supporters over the country have said this but rugby fans are we have to say better behaved than football fans we yeah. don't get the same anti-social behavior at it i think uh, the point you make there is about the working class is a really interesting one um, I think if you're if you're sort of working long hours and maybe a tough labor job, you're yeah. gonna have a lot of a lot of anger built up, and I think that's it's it's actually a, um, a reflection on life. A lot of people sort of release their emotions in different ways. They do yeah. More and more we're seeing now. I think uh, people are able to talk about their emotions and and don't feel sort of suppressed in doing that. Yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of people maybe in the past would have just let their emotions out through anger because they don't want to see be seen as weak or yeah it's the sort of idea of toxic masculinity so if yeah. maybe if you're a working man you're, you're going to the football you're you're slogging it out throughout the week that's somewhere you can get your anger out and yeah. it's, it's okay to, to, to abuse players from the stands and, yeah you know i think uh, to a certain extent it's it's fine as long as you clearly don't uh, cross the boundaries ever into like racism, racism terrorism yeah. anti-semitism whatever it may be i mean i think you know swe- swearing at a football or taking a corner that's fine for me yeah, that's part of normal. football it doesn't bother me at all yeah. um, these guys are on big money they can take some abuse um, but as long as we as we don't cr- cross the line yeah. I think it's the racism it just needs to be stamped out yeah. and I think ultimately there are people talking about it more and more now and I do think that football can go in the right direction mm-hmm. it just needs to be projected more and we need to talk about yeah. these things more so okay last question Gareth McVeigh uh, thank you for getting involved Gareth could Jamal Lewis make it at a top 6 club I mean, he'd start for us. He'd start for United. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm, like, I'm not even joking. I he'd certainly get on our side if you want to count us as a top six club. Like, we, you know, we're just that bad at the minute. But you got that in for me, me there. For me, yeah. yeah. For me, he's better than Luke Shaw. So if for it, United is an option for him yeah. already. Um, you know, he's probably better than Brandon Williams as well. Mm-hmm. Just at the minute, 
Um, yeah, any, any other sides you could maybe get uh, yeah, look Arsenal, into? Arsenal, think get in. Maybe Chelsea, uh, you could maybe play like a squad role oh, yeah, there. I mean, Chelsea yeah. fans really dislike their left backs. They don't like that. Alonso or Emerson. Alonso really. is a is a, is a is a terrible footballer. Oh, no, he's just pop yeah. up in the right areas yeah, and get yeah. himself ten goals a season. Yeah. Palmieri hasn't convinced. I think. And Arsenal, Kieran Tierney hasn't really done the business there just, so far. He's a very injury prone. He's just yeah. took another injury again there, yeah. Kieran. So I think yeah. they, uh, I mean, they maybe wouldn't spend the money on him so soon yeah. after buying Tierney. Uh, but who else have they got there? Kolasinac, yeah. I think Jamalus is a better player. Ultimately, he could definitely play a, at least a rotation role in some yeah. sides. Maybe not the starting berth, but like, yeah. I think he could really play a rotation role for like quite a few top six sides. Like, well, here's when, an interesting show. Would, 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 could Man City do worse? Zinchenko uh, no, is, is, is a very good player, but... Yeah. Um, Naturally, isn't a left back, even though he's played there yeah. for the last couple of years. Benjamin Mendy has had horrendous injury problems. Yeah. I cannot trust that guy there, as yeah. good a footballer as he is. Yeah. Um, Angelino has come in for sort of small money, hasn't really done it. I mean, they, I yeah. think they could do worse. Yeah, I think, I think every team the- you would say. You know, has it nailed down? Is, is Liverpool? He's not. He's not a better footballer than Andy yeah. Robertson. But I think he definitely like fit the system at City. Like he's so good on the ball, Jamal Lewis. Like we get to see some of the, the situations he escapes at fullback or, or like ridiculous with tight yeah. control and things like that so he could certainly fit the system I think Norwich try to play a similar system to City they just have nowhere near the personnel yeah. so like he could probably fit in their system yeah it's not a bad shot he's just such a talented player he really yeah. is I don't think Norwich is the right club for the, the style of footballer he is I mean I'm sure he will have learned so much from this year um, obviously Norwich being one of the, the lesser teams in the league um, an attacking side so he has to, you know, he'd be used to getting forward as he would obviously have to in a top six club. And I think just because fullbacks are so important these days, you've talked about it at length in the podcast before, how it's no longer, uh, it's no, you're no longer able to just be like a Gary Neville essentially. Maybe that's a bit of a harsh shout, but a limited, say a more limited Gary Neville. Um, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, your fullback, if he just got through the game without making a mistake, you would have been happy enough. But nowadays you really do have to add an outlet um, and really we have to have a good delivery, be good on the ball. Yeah. And he, he is all of those things. There are question marks defensively. He's 21. He's an attacking fullback. There are going to be. Uh, but I think this guy is the future for Northern Ireland. And oh, we, he should, is, yeah. we should be doing everything to keep this guy happy and make sure he's, he's wanting to play. Definitely. Uh, and there's no, he's shown no signs that he, that he hasn't wanted to. So yeah. really excited about Jamal. Yeah, so brilliant. Yes on that Pre- one? Yes. Yeah, yes. I think he definitely could. Happy to uh, wrap it up. Now. Yeah, it was great, man. I loved okay. that. Really yeah. enjoyed that podcast. Yeah, some brilliant questions from the guys. So thanks 100%. to everyone who who asked questions on the Facebook page. Um, yeah. on, on that one, yeah, brilliant. Hundred percent. Just to echo that. Um, yeah, brilliant questions there, guys. Really, uh, really good job. We only expected this podcast to be 35, 40 minutes, but we've Run some of the questions hour, been yeah. sort of thought provoking that we've been able to uh, to, to right. carry on. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed that wee Christmas special. Um, I think oh, I'm not sure if we're if we're hundred percent sure in this yet, but. Uh, we might be releasing a quiz podcast uh, where you may will be able to play along at home, and we'll do that just at the end of the uh, at the end of the year. It'll hopefully be released. It will be mainly centered around the last decade, um, because we are all young lads here and can't really be answering questions about lads <laughs> in the nineteen sixties when everyone smoked at half time and couldn't run. But yeah. <laughs> um, so it will be based in the last decade. So that might that'll be fun. Make sure you tune into that one, um, and uh, you can play along at home, test your knowledge, um, but. All that's left for me to say is thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, right. right. Thank you. And, uh, yep, thanks for the questions. Like the Facebook page, like the Twitter. uh, Get involved there. Keep listening. Keep supporting the page. And thank you very much for all the support we've had so far this year. And have a very Merry Christmas. Bye-bye.